chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank you for you, your brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to those who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in a blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shout out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that your that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning for those of us who have faith in the Lord Jesus, that you would give us encouragement to persevere in faith this morning. And to those who are still searching into the ways of Jesus and thinking about whether they want to follow Jesus, I pray, Father, that I would be clear and helpful to those of us who are in that position too. I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning, thanking you for your great encouragement to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that we would understand the grace and peace that comes only through him a little bit more today. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, 2020 does not need any introduction to us, does it? I don't need to start the the sermon this morning by explaining how hard this year has been for many of us. Um, But one of the best ways to communicate how difficult 2020 has been, I think, is through memes on the internet. And I don't know if you know what a meme is, but it's, to be honest, I still don't quite understand what a meme is. But my children tell, my sons tell me that a meme is just sort of trying to capture a big idea in a simple, pithy, little, funny kind of way. And uh, one of my favourite memes for 2020 is uh, I saw a meme of Doc Emmett Brown and Marty from Back to the Future movie. And you, again, you might not have heard of that movie. If you want to look that one up later, do yourself a favour. Great movie. Back to the Future is about time travel. And um, the meme said something like um, uh, McFly was just about to get in his DeLorean and go into the future. And Doc says to him, whatever you do, Marty, don't, go to, don't, pu- don't punch in 2020. Whatever you do, don't go there. And I think that, to me, sums up 2020. Whatever you do, just like, let's just get through this year and hopefully we'll have a better year next year. However, didn't we say that last year? Do you remember when those bushfires were raging early in the season? 
and they went all the way through and the bushfires were so catastrophic by uh, January that we just thought, oh, just hurry up and bring on January. Please bring on 2020. I found myself praying, God, please just bring on 2020. And then 2020 seems to have just been worse. Where's all this suffering coming from? I've grown up, I was just sharing this morning actually, I've grown up in a very privileged place in the Sutherland Shire. I've spent uh, all but three of my 52 years in the Sutherland Shire. I was born in Carring Bar Hospital and by the way things are looking, it looks like I'll probably die in Carring Bar Hospital. I reckon there's a good chance of that. To live in the Sutherland Shire for so many years of my life in Sydney is actually an incredibly privileged life. Yet when suffering strikes me, I still ask the question, why God? Why is this happening to me? Because there is suffering everywhere in the world, even in a privileged place like the Sutherland Shire. And you might ask yourself that question sometimes too. Why God? Why is this suffering happening to me? Well, I think if you ask that question, you're a good Australian. Let me tell you why. Because Australians, one of our core values as Australians is we believe in a fair go, don't we? A fair go for all. And the flip side of that is if someone actually has something happen to them that's not fair, we straight away assume that's not fair. Now, often it isn't. And it's good to be an Australian because we call out injustice. Maybe we could do more of that, actually. But we like to think of everyone having a fair go. And I think we think of that first when it comes to suffering. Is this fair because of our value of a fair go? But I want to ask the question this morning, is that an, a Christian way of seeing suffering? As Australians, we might ask the question first, is it fair? That might be our first question. By the way, I'm not saying it's a bad question, I'm just asking, is it the best question to start with, right? Is it the first question you ask, is it fair? Because what does a Christian really ask when there's suffering? One of my really dear friends is a man called Jason Bakuya. He played for the Cronulla Sharks and he is Australian and Fijian. His Fijian father gave him a rich heritage of Fijian culture and Fiji, as with many Pacifica nations, is deeply drenched in the culture of the gospel. Because since missionaries have gone to Pacific countries, it has had a very deep impact amongst Pacifica people. Now, I had the privilege of starting out as the Cronulla Sharks chaplain in 2016. And when I became the chaplain of the Sharks, Jason asked me to come along to his Bible study. And when I went to Jason's Bible study, it was interesting how they used to start their Bible study. Because every week, Jason would say, God is good. And then everyone would respond all the time. And then he would say, all the time, and everyone would respond, God is good. And that got me thinking week after week. To start off with, I thought, oh, that's nice. But over time, that started to become part of my culture too. And I noticed that when I was talking to my other Australian friends, that because I was saying God is good all the time in the beginning of a Bible study with my Pacifica mates, and by the way, not just in Bible study, also when we'd have a coffee, they'd greet each other by saying God is good all the time, all the time God is good. It was like a really interesting, different reference point for me as an Australian. Now, I've been a Christian since I was four years old, but I always ask the question when something goes wrong, is it fair? But what I noticed with my Pacifica mates is if things weren't working out for them at the club or in their career or if they'd had a bad injury, they begin telling the story of what was going wrong in their life by saying, God is good all the time, not just when things are going wrong. And this is the thought that occurred to me. I wonder that those of us like myself who've grown up in Sydney... I wonder if we've been so drenched in our Australian culture that instead of starting looking at a problem with the thought God is good, we orientate ourselves to the problem with, is it fair? Now, you may not be like myself, but I think because I start with, is it fair, I can be tempted to get cranky at God when things go wrong. 
Because I go, is it fair? This isn't fair. I just expect a fair go, God. Not much more than that. I don't expect to be super wealthy. I just want to have a fair go. And what's just happened to me is not fair. What are you doing, God? You're in charge. Why did you let this happen to me? Can you see how that can be a really awkward place to start in a problem? Because rather than seeking God and looking out to Him and asking Him for help in a problem, we can actually get cranky at Him. And it seems to me that as people, we always have a choice when something goes wrong. We can either get cranky about it and become bitter, or we can actually dive deeper into relationship with those who love us and we love to support and encourage each other. And most of all, our Lord God. But our Australian nature of fair go might actually stop us reaching out to God and it might actually make us angry with God. Well, I want to actually start the sermon today by saying that I think Paul does not ask the question first, is it fair? He starts every letter with God is good. And I want to encourage you to think about being a bit more like my friend Jason. I want you to think about if you're like me and you're you're a bit of a person who really likes a fair go, if something goes wrong for you and you don't think you're being treated fairly, maybe like me, when I feel like I'm not being treated fairly, I need to readjust my thinking, be transformed in my thinking, renew my mind to start the question with God is good and then ask is it fair? Because if I ask God is good, then I'm actually going to be like the Thessalonians who suffer in this passage who despite the suffering that they're going through, which is extreme persecution, I might add, which is much worse than what we're going through in COVID in Australia, Paul is able to say confidently in this passage that despite what they're going through, their faith is growing more and more expressed in love, that they are loving one another as a response to persecution and suffering. And I think it would be wonderful if we continue to grow in our resilience through this time of COVID rather than just get through it and hope next year starts soon. Wouldn't it be better to go, how can we learn about the goodness of God through this pandemic rather than let's just bring on 2021 because it might get worse. Look at the international situation around us. It's very, very fraught. People are talking about the possibility of a second Cold War. People are talking about all the problems that many nations are suffering around the world. There's a lot of suffering that's going to happen next year too. So instead of let's just get through a suffering year and let's just try and brush it off with a meme like don't go to 2020, Maybe let's go deeper into God, that God is good and that we can persevere in faith because he is good. So let's dive in to look at what's going on here for the Thessalonians so that we might get some more insight into that today. Well, Paul is writing to the church in Thessalonica, as as Paul Tate has just uh, helpfully reminded of us this morning. But if you're a, uh, a reader of Paul's letters, you might notice a different tone in this letter to some of his other letters. In fact, there's only one other letter in the New Testament that I can think of that has a similar tone, and that's the letter to the Galatians. Most of the time, Paul seems to have quite a warm tone when he writes to churches, because he loves them so much. And yes, they're going through hard times, but he's actually wanting to encourage. He does warn and 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 warn of the coming judgment as well but he often comes across with a warm tone but what you'll notice in 2 Thessalonians is that warm tone is mostly absent from this letter as I said as is in Galatians so what is the cause of Paul's change in tone for the Thessalonians why is he a little bit blunter in this letter well Paul's going to continue the same themes as he had in 1 Thessalonians he's already written one letter to the Thessalonians but now what he's doing is he's getting a bit more um sober in his tone because he's heard that there are false teachers that are preaching at Thessalonica in his name making the people confused and sad 
the last thing they need in a time of suffering is to be confused by their leaders. Rather than hearing that God is good, the leaders in this generation of preachers that are preaching at Thessalonica are saying that you guys have already missed out on your salvation. Isn't that a terrifying thing? Can I say as, uh, as a matter of, just as a pause for a moment, that any ministry that causes fear is not a Christian ministry. If you ever listen to a Christian teacher who calls himself a Christian teacher and they cause you to fear, fear to this extent, fear that you might lose your salvation or that even worse, like in this case, that you've lost your salvation, that is not a Christian ministry. Every Christian ministry teaches judgment and mercy. That the Lord Jesus is offering hope to all of us who are alive. That if we turn to Christ before we pass away, we have the hope of eternal life. And here Paul has heard that people are teaching that the day of the Lord has come and that creates chaos in this church because all the suffering they're undergoing is for nothing. Because if they've missed out on the day of the Lord, they've missed out on their salvation. If they've missed out on their salvation, why are we even bothering suffering? So Paul is quite different in his tone as he speaks of this but not only that he's also heard that there are some in the church that are lazy and have stopped working maybe it's people who've given up hope because of this terrible teaching you've got to understand that if you do sit under terrible teaching that isn't biblical it can create actual negative aspects to your christian life if it's not biblical teaching and people teach something that either adds to the gospel or takes away from the gospel, it will add to or take away in your Christian life. And so if you're put under a burden that adds to the gospel, you will move into legalism and think that somehow you can earn your own way to heaven. Or if someone is taking away from the gospel, you might feel like your joy is being eroded in lots of different ways. And so Paul is very quick right now, at the very beginning of the letter, in chapter 1, to correct these negative ideas and replace them with the true gospel that brings hope. That's why true Christian ministry doesn't cause fear, because all true Christian ministry preaches hope. Jesus has promised he will come back again, and the Thessalonians haven't missed out on that. So you can see that uh, briefly if you want to write down some of these verses to have a look between now and next week. Uh, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through to 5, 11, it was really clear about these issues that I'm talking about now. But as we see that the issues are clear, the problem is that because his tone is blunt, it's, it's also not real clear sometimes exactly what Paul's talking about. And unlike 1 Thessalonians, we can actually wonder what gives. Sometimes as we read this letter, we might not have just really concrete, this is true, this isn't. There's a lot of, there, there is uh, a tone of truth, but we don't understand exactly what the false teaching is, for example, and we don't know the full extent of it. So what I think we're learning here in one Thess 2 Thessalonians is the same as 1 Thessalonians, is that we're actually going to understand some principles for the Christian life because of that. So be encouraged as you read it. If you don't always understand what gives, you don't understand exactly everything to do with what's going on with the second coming. You might have a lot of questions about that after we finish this series. What, what is going to happen before Jesus comes back? And when is he going to come back? And what does that look like? And some of us even might be here today. Is it really possible that Jesus is going to come back like he promised? What I would encourage you is, again, like my brother Jason, start with the way Paul starts, which is God is good. So even in our unknowing, let's not jump to, is this fair? 
Because I don't understand all this. It's not fair. <laughs> you see how that can happen again as a Christian? If you don't understand something, you can say, as an Australian Christian, oh, it's not fair, I don't get this. And all of a sudden, we can be tempted to bitterness. But let's not go there. Let's trust in God, even if we don't understand the whole context. Because God has given us enough for what we need to know for full, for full salvation. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, does give us a really good, clear reason for why Paul is upset, however. In chapter 2, verse 2, it's because uh, the people have been thrown into confusion. But Paul, while he's upset, at the same time, he still has the same affections for the Thessalonians and the same concern. And in our passage today, in chapter 1, verses 3 to 12, we can also see that Paul shows how to have victory over these problems. And what we're going to look at today is that what we need to replace the sentence with, is it fair with, is not ask the question just, is it fair? But if we start with God is good and then say, is it fair? Then what we ask is, how do I glorify God in this suffering? And in fact, I want to encourage you to even think about that as a second question. Because that's what Paul's going to end this little section on and we're going to get to that in just a moment. So why don't we do that? Let's dive into 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. And let's see if we can unpack some of this together today. Now, at the beginning of the letter, and if you haven't got your Bibles open, I'd encourage you to turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. At the beginning of the section, Paul is giving a greeting. Uh, now, just to have a little bit of fun this morning, I thought, you know, how do you greet someone? I want to ask you that question today. What's the kind of greeting that you say to people? Would anyone like to call out a greeting that you use on a daily occasion? G'day, mate. That's a good Aussie, good Aussie hello. G'day. I like going bushwalking. And as you go, have you ever gone bushwalking and people are passing each other on the track? Almost always, g'day, 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 g'day. It, almost, it rolls into one, doesn't it? G'day, g'day, g'day. Sounds like those birds out of the, the movie Nemo. G'day, g'day. It's very cool. Okay, that's a good one. What about any more? How do you say hello? Anybody do something different? Do you just say hello? How, you know? Pardon? Hi? Yeah, hi. Hello. What else? Greetings. Greetings and salutations. It's very formal and appropriate for an Englishman, my brother. Anything else? I'm only half English, so I, I aspire to John's Englishness. One day I will grow more and more in my Englishness. Yeah, we've got another one over there. How you going, mate? That's what I was wondering. That's, I reckon that, in our generation, could be the quintessential Australian hello. Now, let, let's have a think about this. When you say to someone, how you going, mate, what's the answer? All right. Or, yeah, pretty good. Or, how about you? <laughs> you don't even answer it. You just say, how about you? Now, again, I'm half English, so I'm not at all putting down my English relatives. But when I went to England on a holiday and I walked into my house of my uncle, and I said, my first greeting was, oh, g'day, how you going? And he told me. <laughs> Much to my surprise, and I was horrified because he went on for 15 minutes telling me about how his back was and all his ailments and how many pills he was taking. And Lou was laughing her head off because she looked at me and she goes, you weren't actually interested in how he was going. You just wanted to say, <laughs> how you going? And you're supposed to say, yeah, good. It's just a welcome. And you know, the reason I say that today is because that's sort of like how we read Paul's greetings in the New Testament. Sometimes we think he's just doing, how you going? It doesn't really mean anything. It's just to get the ball rolling. It's a bit of a formality. Well, let's have a look at it though, because it's actually a little bit more than that. Let's have a look at uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 1 to 2. How does Paul say hello? Well, first of all, quite appropriately, he, he introduces himself and his mates. Paul, Silas and Timothy. 
to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, before you rush past that sentence, ask yourself, what does that mean? What it means is, let's look at it. Well, first of all, he's called the Thessalonians the church. Who are the church? The church are the family of God, those who've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ, who are being built together in a spiritual house. The church are those who are gathered in the name of Jesus. That is the church. The church hasn't been formed at the will of some minister who started a church. The church is formed at the direct action of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because on the cross, he started the church. Because he died on the cross for the sins of everyone, that anyone who should turn to him can be forgiven of their sins and given new life and be brought into the family of God, with God the Heavenly Father. So what Paul's talking about here is not, hey Thessalonians, the church that I started. Paul's not saying, hi, I'm the church planner that planted your church, I'm writing to you just to correct some bad stuff. Because what that would do is set up an argument between human beings. Because if Paul starts the letter by saying, hi, I'm Paul who planted your church, I have more authority than those guys who are claiming to speak on my behalf, then that would just be an argument between two people. And don't we often do that in the church? Don't we often try and talk about theological disagreements or whatever about, well, I think this and I think that. One of the things about the fair go for Australians is we start a sentence when we talk about even biblical things, well, well, I think. We do that, don't we? Because there's this like egalitarianism, isn't there, in Australia? We don't like the tall poppy syndrome where if someone stands up and claims to speak with authority, we cut that person down real quick because it's a fair go. Let's have an even playing field. But this is not what Paul's doing here. What Paul's saying is God started your church and God calls you the church. So see what he's doing at the very beginning of the letter? You're scared and worried about missing out on the second coming of Jesus, but why have, how could it be possible that you would miss out on salvation if God started the church? Now, we've just gone through Joshua to see that God fulfills his promises. Why would God fulfill his promises to all the other Christians and not the Thessalonians just because they have bad teachers? You see how that's really... He's, he's really starting the way Jason starts. He's starting the letter by saying, God is good. You're not going to miss out because God is good. And then he goes on and he explains how God is good in verse 2. Grace and peace to you from God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Paul's really saying there is not again just a, a simple homily just to say, okay, let's get on to the real business now that I've greeted you. What he's saying is God is good and the result of that is you can enjoy his grace and peace. So really, Paul doesn't have to write anything else. He's already written it. He's written, God is good, grace and peace are yours. Oh, awesome. Now, look at your problem that you have in your life in the context of that. Let's take COVID, for example. God is good and you can enjoy the grace and peace of Jesus in every time of your life. Like Jason says, all the time, God is good. So what does it look like for God to be good during COVID? Let's think about that as the sermon goes on. Well, what we see in the letter too is just like in Joshua, we see two themes. Now, this is really interesting, isn't it? Because we said in the book of Joshua that God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. And here we see a direct corollary with that. I should have said parallel. I was thinking of saying parallel from the beginning, but I thought I might try and say that word and I can't even pronounce it, corollary, probably because of my accent or something. But the direct link, here you go, that's simple, between Joshua and two Thessalonians is there is judgment and there is mercy, remember? So for the city of uh, Jericho, there was judgment on that city for their sin, but the prostitute Rahab 
receive mercy because she repented and turned from her sin. Here we see the same thing. We already said that the Thessalonians aren't just going through COVID, they're actually getting persecuted by other people. And so what's being talked about here in verse 6 and verse 8 and 9 in this passage is Paul says, the first thing to know that if you are going through troubled times and there are people who are persecuting you, please don't ask the question first, is this fair? Now, this is a really hard one for Australian Christians. Don't ask the question first, is this fair? Because obviously it's not. So if your children are being taken out of your home or you're arrested or you're thrown in the Colosseum and eaten by lions or if the Jews are actually stoning you to death outside the city gates, whatever the persecution is, Thessalonians, it isn't fair. That's right, it's not. But if you start the question with, is this fair that we're being persecuted, you're just going to get really upset. That's all that's going to happen. Because you thinking it's not fair does not stop someone from being nasty to you. And that is true in our lives too, isn't it? In the workplace, in our families, in our friendships, in our soccer clubs, even in our churches, people will treat you in ways that aren't fair. And as human beings, we should do the best we can to, to look for justice in those things. But that is the second thing we should do. Because the first thing we should do is actually ask, is God good right now? Not, this is unfair, this person. See what you do, you elevate yourself from the horizontal to the vertical straight away. God is good, grace and peace. I think that will result in faith growing in hard places. And if you would like to be a person who has faith all the time, not just in good times, and if you'd like to be a person who has faith in hard places, give this passage a go. Because what's going on here is that one day God will punish those who are afflicting you. There is no escape from injustice. Because God is righteous and good and he will judge injustice. However, in verse 7, it goes on to talk about the fact that he will also give relief to those who are in trouble. So there is judgment on those who afflict you and there is comfort and relief for those of us who find ourselves in trouble. The question we ask again, because we're Australians, is, well, when's that going to happen? Because we're very pragmatic people. When, when are we going to get the access to this? Come on. Next week? What about today, Lord? I don't have to put up with this any day. I, I can't actually cope with this person at work another day. God, you need to act right now. And when he doesn't, that's not fair, God. Why aren't you acting? Why aren't you listening to my prayers? Well, that's not what Paul says to the Thessalonians. Now, brace yourself, because this is quite a sober answer. When will this take place? The punishment for the oppressors and the relief for those in trouble once and for all at the second coming. He's talking to a group of people who are undergoing daily persecution and he's saying to them, you may have to endure that for the rest of your lives. Not just until there's a vaccine that means we can, stop sing we can start singing again without masks, but for the whole of your life you may have to undergo persecution and suffering. Can I ask you a question today? What if you had that answer for Paul today in your present suffering? How would you go with that? If Paul says, actually, God's not going to finally give you relief and punish those who oppress you until the second coming, would you know what you would say? Come, Lord Jesus, tomorrow. <laughs> and you know what? That's exactly what we are supposed to do. How many times did Jesus say that he was going to come like a thief in the night the second time? He came first to die on the cross and save us. He's going to come second the way he left. He's going to come back through the clouds and he's going to gather up all those who are dead in Christ first and then those who are alive will join him in the clouds. And we are meant to live for that day. That's our real Christmas. That's our end of 2020. 
It's the second coming of Jesus. When my Aboriginal friend Isaac Gordon came and visited us the first time back in the early 2000s, he came to me after a couple of days and he said, brother, I'm a bit worried about your church. I said, why Isaac? What's, what's wrong with our church? He said, no one's living for the second coming. I said, what do you mean, Isaac? He said, well, my people, we suffer. He said, the average age of an Aboriginal man in Brewarrina is 45 to 50. He said, so I'm already an old man in my community and women don't live much longer in Brewarrina. And so we, we have people dying all the time. He's a pastor. Most of his ministry is burying people. Can you imagine how traumatic that would be for a pastor to spend week after week burying people, sometimes three or four people, and it's not just older people, it's young people killed in car accidents. It's people who have um, health problems early and, and they pass away. All sorts of things go towards having people pass away in Brewarrina. And I say to Isaac, you know, how do you cope with that? And he says, well, the Lord's coming back to take us home soon. And I can't wait for that day. That's what keeps me going. Isn't it interesting that when he comes to Sydney and he asks people, apparently when he was first in our church, he'd want to share his passion for the second coming with other people in our church. And he said, are you looking forward to the second coming, brother? Or are you looking forward to the second coming of Jesus, sister? And he said, I would be greeted with a surprised look. Oh, actually, hadn't been thinking about it much. And then he said, well, don't you want Jesus to come back? And he said to me, the thing I'm worried about your church is that people would respond, oh yeah, after I get married and after I have kids, I want Jesus to come back or after I get my career going, I want Jesus to come back. Or, and he's like, what's wrong with you people? And then he says, and then you know what I look at? When, when those dreams of yours don't come true, then you blame God and the wheels fall off your faith. See, what I was trying to say at the beginning of the sermon is sometimes we can set up God to be who we think he should be. God, God is not the God of Australia, He's the God of the universe. God doesn't fit into our culture, we are meant to fit into his culture. And he's saying that suffering is part of life and it shouldn't surprise us and that those who treat us badly will be punished and that will all happen at the second coming. It's a very sober word. Let's have a look at uh, verse 7 where this is called the day of the Lord. I'm going to start at verse 6. God is just... By the way, God is just sounds very similar to God is good, doesn't it? You like that? God is good, God is just. So, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and, and, and us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So, Christian, don't, don't live through suffering as though you're just waiting for it to finish. Live through suffering as though it's normal. It's part of life. And the way to actually understand it is that it will end one day. But the question remains, how do we live while we wait and pray? Well, we know from James that as we suffer, we will be refined and we will grow resilience. I'm going to use a simple example for this. When I first started surfing, I was asked by my friends to go out into a cold winter's day. A guy called Rusty Moran, who lived across the road from you guys, he picked me up when it was still dark in the middle of winter and all I had was a spring suit, which for those of you who don't surf is just a really short wetsuit meant for summer. In the middle of June or July it was, it was a freezing cold day and I'm all young and hyped up thinking, yeah, I can do this. I rocked up to Cronulla Beach with Rusty, I put on my wetsuit, all my mates laughed at me going, geez, you're going to have a great surf and we all ran out into the water together but it was my first, I still remember, it was my first winter surf and I paddled out and I thought I was going to die. 
I literally thought I was going to die. I had a freezy head. Have you ever drunk like a Slurpee from 7-Eleven until your head gets that ache? Well, in, in, if you surf in winter, you duck dive under a wave, you get that freezy head straight away. My fingers stopped working. My feet, I couldn't feel them anymore. And I'm sitting out the back, partly because I was in the wrong gear, but partly because I wasn't used to it. And the boys are laughing at me and they weren't saying, give up, Stu, because you can't do this. What did they say? And this is something in Australian culture I want to redeem today. What do we say in Australian culture when someone thinks they can't do something? You'll be right, mate. There you go. So I want to finish the sermon as I began. Our culture is not completely bad. There's something beautiful in it. You'll be right, mate. Or she'll be right, mate. Or you'll get used to it. There's a resilience in our culture, isn't there? There's, there's a resilience in Isaac's Aboriginal culture out west because they, all they have left is Jesus, Isaac tells me. The only thing he has that's bright in his life to look forward to is the second coming of Jesus. And when you orientate yourself to Jesus, you'll be right. You'll get used to it. So if you feel like me in the freezing cold water of suffering sometimes and you don't think you can make it, look to Rusty Moran, who's out the back just as cold. He was wearing the same wetsuit as me and he was shredding didn't even bother him and he was the one who was saying to me she'll be right mate you'll get used to it keep hanging in there and I did I got used to it and I'm okay for a winter surf now Andrew will tell you he can he can swim all year round now because he's used to it Andrew doesn't just swim in summer he swims all year round even in the cold of like what how cold does the water get at Cronulla Andrew 15 degrees yeah 15 degrees how's that now that's better than me I'd need a wetty for that But that's the same with us, isn't it? Do you believe you can do it? Do you believe you'll be right? So let's not grumble and complain and tell each other about all our problems. Let's be a little bit Australian in that too. If someone says, how are you? I want to challenge you with a new response. If they say, how are you? I want you to think about this one this week. Why don't you respond with, God is good. All the time, all the time, God is good. Let's become a bit more Pacifica in Australia. After all, this is our region. Let's be a bit more like Jason and a bit more like Rusty. Briefly, how do we live while we wait for the second coming? Well, the answer is clear in verse 12 and verse 11, actually, but I'm actually going to start there at verse 11. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling. See, that you'll be able to endure your suffering with faith and that by his power, he may bring you to fruition every desire and goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is linked to verse 4, where Paul has already said, Therefore, among you, God churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials that you're enduring. What Paul is saying is in the midst of suffering live to the glory of God. So if God is good, how do you live to show his goodness? That is how you live in suffering and give it purpose. Not how does God sustain me through suffering, but how do I give glory to him through suffering? So every new day I wake up when I'm suffering, I ask the question, how can I glorify God in this? Now, am I going to build up my brothers and sisters if I just complain about what's going on in my life all the time? Or if I get angry at those who aren't treating me properly, that doesn't bring any glory to God. It just makes my friends and family feel, ugh. 
you know, if I, if I say to Lou, oh, my back's hurting, oh, my back's hurting every day, she's like, yeah, I know, you tell me every day. <laughs> but if I wake up and say, you know, in the midst of my back pain, I just had a good pray this morning, that'll encourage my wife. If I say to my kids all the time, I'm too tired to play with you, I'm so busy, that's not going to bring glory to God. But if I say to them, hey, you know what, I've got a lot on today, but can we, can we have a board game, a little quick one, can we squeeze one in? That'll glorify God because it'll put a smile on my children's face. And sure, my back might be sore and I might be tired while I'm playing a board game with my kids and I might not particularly like pandemic as a board game choice. I might not like to spend two hours trying to work out how to stop a pandemic in the world and pretend on a board because it's already happening all around me and I'm just like, I don't want to do this. But Elijah loves it. He loves playing board games with his dad. And the last thing he wants is his dad to be distant or grumpy while he's playing board games with him. Let's live to the glory of God because God is good and one day it's all going to end. So let's live to his glory. Let's help those who are in need. Let's stop injustice where we find it as best we can. Let's fight for the gospel in the midst of suffering. And let's do that because God is good all the time. All the time God is good. One way.